making a movie physically and mentally destroys you. You know, it just, it just does. It becomes such a labor of love that sometimes we neglect to look at it as a business. People lock into this idea that there is a correct way to do things. There's not. There's a million ways to do it. Video has become the most effective way to get people to do something that it is you want them to do. It's time for filmmakers to get real with Jeffrey Michael Bayes and Forrest Day Jr. That's right. This is the Get Real Indie Filmmakers podcast, the uh, podcast that talks about indie film topics that other podcasts usually don't talk about. Right. (laughs) Remember the Gaffer Tape show? I do. A long time ago we did that. Yep. That was interesting. (laughs) Yeah, that's an example of doing something that nobody else does. Yeah, and I use... I have some pink gaffer tape. I actually bought the five pack of the fluorescent colors and I've been putting the pink on certain tools at work because nobody will touch them with pink tape. And I'm like, these are mine. (laughs) See the pink tape. And they're like, okay, Forrest. (laughs) Oh man. I can't believe we're still talking about that show. I'm just saying the value of gaffer tape. It can, it can change, especially with the, putting the pink on with all these tough guys around. They're like, I ain't touching his tools. He's got pink tape on it. (laughs) Okay. It works. Gaffer tape. To the rescue. On upcoming shows, we're going to talk with Josh Friedman about his uh, Crew Me Up app. And we're going to try to get Alex Ferrari back on. He has a new book out called The Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. And uh, it, that sounds like it's going to be really good. And he's always a always a treat to talk to Alex. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll try to get him on an upcoming show. And uh, he was on our special show about Distributor, which... Um, as we've been talking about, is uh, is a mess. But uh, anyway, <laughs> everything works out. I I remain. I mean, of course, I don't have a film in in the mix in the mess here. Yeah. But I also re- remain optimistic that things will work out for people. But on the show today is Steve Kaplan, the author of The Hidden Tools of Comedy, and he has a new book out. And what is the name of that book? It's called The Comic Hero's Journey, Serious Story Structure for Fabulously Funny Films. Okay, so if you have a film that is a comedy, it's probably a good idea to check this out because Steve Steve knows what he's doing. Uh, You know, he did the, uh, the HBO Writers Program as well as HBO's Workspace Program. Uh, And he teaches comedy intensives all across the world. In fact, uh... He just taught a uh, an intensive in Russia. He travels the world uh, teaching comedy because comedy is universal. But not that he teaches comedy, but he teaches comedy structure, how you can put it into your films. So what are you going to ask him when he gets on the show? You know I never minutes? plan. You know I never plan. <laughs> and, right. I, and I'll try to avoid... Uh, <laughs> Certain phrases, but you know that that yeah. you don't like. Like, tell me yeah. about the book. But I probably yeah. will ask him. Tell me about the book. Now, is this going to be a funny interview? There, there's since it's about my, comedy. My interviews are always very serious because I know Steve is a pretty funny guy. I've met him a few times, and you know he's quick witted. Um, surprisingly, he doesn't do stand up. Uh, but uh, well, I'm just wondering is he, is he is this going to be a serious interview? It's going to be serious because I want people to listen to it and learn. It's not going to be like, hey, let's see who can out funny the other guy. It's never like that. It's like, what can we, I go into these interviews, what can I bring to the listener? 
and what questions would the listener want to ask this person, in this case, Steve, what would they want to learn from this person? So I try to think of all of that. And basically, I just listen to what people are saying and and expand upon it. So that's my format. Now it's now it's out there. Okay. Maybe I ought to write right. a book on it. <laughs> so let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with Steve Kaplan, author of the comic Hero's Journey, right after this. That's one thing Alfred Hitchcock was really good at, creating suspense with a camera. For the last couple of years, I've been teaching Hitchcock suspense techniques at festivals like Buffalo, St. Louis, Palm Springs, Los Angeles. Filmmakers are learning easy tricks for building suspense that are so easy to implement. Now there's a way for you to get access in my new book, Suspense with a Camera. It's available in bookstores now. And don't miss our free docuseries on YouTube called Hitch 20. Introduction to our Hitch 20 series, the rendition of the Funeral March of a Marionette by Radislav Drakovic, the original theme to Alfred Hitchcock Presents. We're joined now by the great comedy expert, Steve Kaplan. He is the film industry's most sought after expert on comedy. Next to me. <laughs> Not. He advises, he advises DreamWorks, Disney, HBO, Paramount among others, and he created the HBO New Writers Program as well as HBO's Workspace. Steve has taught at UCLA, NYU, and Yale, and he also wrote a book. He wrote two books, The Hidden Tools of Comedy, The Serious Business of Being Funny, and uh, The Hero's Journey, which... uh, The Comic Hero's Journey. What did I say? You said the hero's journey. It's the comic heroes because there's a book called The Hero's Journey. Oh, yeah. This is the comic hero's journey. Steve, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. My pleasure. So you're pretty much an expert on comedy, um, I would say. I I try to be. You try to be. Try to keep up on trends. So we've talked about the book. So now we're going to talk. We're going to pick your brain a little bit today. We want to talk about uh, some topics on comedy. And um, you and I were talking off air. We're talking about political correctness in comedy and the cancel culture. Um, Let's let's delve into that. First of all, what is cancel culture? Well, uh, cancel culture is uh, when somebody has uh, transgressed, has misstepped uh, and and the uh, the thought is that they should go away. And the question is, for how long? For 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 forever? Uh, for a week? So so there's there's the sense that, um, for instance, uh, in in the world of comedy, uh, Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. Uh, has been. Uh, banished if it were he, he's he's oh, he's doing these small sets in small clubs and he one of his opening lines is i lost 36 million dollars in 20 minutes um, <laughs> which, which is funny but it also makes him the victim and and i think i think i think cancel culture uh has has a point in in, in other words uh, uh should we burn 
all the films of, of Woody Allen uh, because uh, some people feel uncomfortable with him or feel that he uh, in the past did something uh, bad. Uh, and and so cancel culture isn't saying, I think, cancel culture isn't saying you can never watch a Woody Allen film, you can never enjoy a Woody Allen film, but you have to make, uh, you have to make a, a, a uh, an educated, you know, choice uh, mm-hmm. based on: Do you want to support this? Where where do you feel? You know, you're not going to stop somebody else, but you can make your own educated individual choice. Uh, are you going to go see a Mel Gibson movie? Um, uh, so so there there's there's a danger in cancer cancel culture in terms of uh, people are given a a forever timeout. Um, but I think that before you can come back into the good graces of society, you have to own up to what you did. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's the point that a lot of people are making in terms of people like, um, uh, like, um, uh, Charlie Rose, like Louis CK, that you can't just come back as though, you stepped on somebody's toe or, or you, 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 uh, you ran a red light. What they did requires some amount of reflection and a, and a large amount of owning up to it. Uh, I was talking to, uh, uh, my friend, John Fugelsang, uh, the other night. And, um, John is a very funny, uh, commentator and comic. And his point was that, uh, he could get, Louis C.K. out on the road tomorrow, if Louis C.K. would let the three women whose careers were, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, stopped, uh, damaged um, uh, by uh, by his manager kind of putting the kibosh on them, uh, he, you know, let let those three w- women comics, let them open up for him and then he can do the second act. But his second act has to has to include an acknowledgement of mm-hmm. what he did, where he is, what where he was, and what he's doing now. Which, uh, if if you've read anything about his new sets, uh, he kind of doesn't mention it at all. And when he does mention it, it's uh, it is to the point of he's the victim. He's the victim here, mm-hmm. and yep. he's kind of he's kind of not the victim. He's kind of. Uh, he was kind of the perpetrator. Great comedians have always owned up to what was going on with them and and with them in in terms of the context of, of their community and their society. For instance, Richard Pryor famously mm-hmm. was freebasing and set himself on fire yeah. and ran down the road on fire and when he when he recovered enough to do his next stand up set that was the, that was one of the basic points he was making he didn't try to make excuses for it he didn't try to point the blame somewhere else he owned it he said there you know there's this and i think he used the n word there's this n word running down the street on fire <laughs> and I'm not going to do his his act yeah. right now, but but I think that's what people have to do. They have to own where they were and what they're doing, and and accept the fact that 
they need to they need to do more than simply say I'm sorry and then go back to where they were. They're not they're not going to be allowed to go back to where they were. And some people are not going to be allowed to go back to where they were because they they're going to be in jail or they should they should be in jail. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, uh, Bill Cosby is in jail. So, Correct. And more people will be in jail. Um, mm-hmm. So so I mean so cancel culture is the is the thing that I think uh, can be misused if people are using it for partisan political ends. Um, uh, Kathy Griffin makes uh, makes a joke of a of a of a picture, mm-hmm. and uh, and she's literally hounded off the stage, and and she has to go in, into hiding. That's that's I think a that's that's I think a problem because no one is really having a problem with her comedy as much as her politics. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way that I guess the Dixie Chicks uh, were. Uh, were were kind of hounded out of their career by people who were upset that they had said something bad about George Bush. I, I'm trying to think of a similar thing uh, on the left, and and there probably is examples of that, um, but it's not coming to me right now. No, but I get your point. Um, you you anything it's to the point now where anything that offends. People are willing to shut that person off and, and grant it. Some of it's very illegal. You know, obviously Bill Cosby um, in, in the TV world, Lori Laughlin and uh, Felicity Huffman right now, because of what they did, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they're no longer welcome on TV and, and it was certainly illegal. But now where do you draw the line when uh, using the Dixie Chicks because of their political views? And people uh, wouldn't listen to them. I, by the way, love their music, so I would continue to listen to it, whether I agree with them or not. But um, yes, I can see where it's gotten worse. What What is your opinion on how social media has changed the way, you know, go back 10, 15 years and today, it seems more instantaneous to me, but what's your opinions on social media creating this cancel culture? Uh, it's, it's a genie we let out of the bottle and we really don't know what it is or, or, or how to put it back or, or, you know, how powerful it is. I mean, you know, back, back in the day, if you wanted to hound the monster out of the village, you had to get out of your house, you know, grab a torch, light it and go (laughs) bad scientists lair and say out with you monster. And now you don't have to do it. You can be sitting in, in your, in your jammies or your skivvies Mm -hmm. and you can can get online uh, and you can uh, make people's lives uh, not only hard, but, but you can, you can endanger them Mm -hmm. uh, because there are, uh, unhinged people out there and not everything that you say, uh, in an exaggerated way is, is taken in an exaggerated way. Mm-hmm. Now, if you claim that, that people are running a uh, child pedophile ring out of the basement of a Washington DC pizza shop, some guy could show up there 
having driven 12 hours or 20 hours with a rifle mm-hmm. to to free the kids, even though in that pizza shop, there is no basement. So, so the internet was supposed to make us smarter, but I think it's made us stupider. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, uh, it's spread stupid all the way throughout so that people read something or see something and they simply, if it, if it fits in with their mindset, their, their pre, you know, their, their, the mindset that they, they come in with, um, if it fits in with their mindset, they just go off on it. Uh, so, and that's dangerous. And that happens uh, on both sides of the aisle that if somebody said, uh, I saw Trump's, uh, tax returns and, and he's, uh, in, in bed with, um, you know, with, uh, the Yakuza, uh, uh, and there are people who will believe it no matter what, because they, they kind of want to believe that. So mm-hmm. they will believe that. Right. And, and, uh, it, we, we live it, we live in a, in, in a time in which these huge media conglomerates that, that are in charge of the social media are amoral and they, they will do anything for profit, uh, including, diluting the uh, the kind of the the converse the the national conversation mm-hmm. so that you have facebook up until a couple of weeks ago they had a a, uh, a terms of service which said you cannot knowingly uh have an ad that has falsehood in it um now we know that uh, they were attacked during the 2016 election, and lots of uh, articles with with fake news. I hate to use that term, but yeah. that's um, uh, lots of articles were were kind of disseminated uh, and targeted. Uh, but now, uh, now that they were caught, now what they did was they simply changed their terms of service. So now you can put in an ad in which you basically can say that Ted mm-hmm. Cruz's father killed Kennedy and it's all right. So, so it's, it's a real problem. I mean, mm-hmm. social media is a real problem when, when you have a way of communicating with people who are friends or supporters or fans. I'm thinking of Leslie Jones. Um, Leslie Jones uh, is acting in a movie she's just a comedian she's just an actress she's not hurting anybody she's not she's not ruining anybody's life and i guess i think it was milo i could be wrong about this please i i apologize if i'm spreading a fake a fake piece of news but i think it was milo or somebody like that who decided to gang up on her and and this guy who may or may not be milo um and his thousands and thousands of Twitter followers just just spewed horrible, derogatory, profane garbage at her, uh, enough to chase her off the off the platform. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem with social media is that is that you you no longer have to get out of your house and get your torch. Now, 
thousands, tens of tens of thousands of people can gang up on somebody and they can dox them. And dox is when you reveal uh, a, a private information uh, on a social media. So so uh, the the woman who accused Kavanaugh of uh, of, uh, you know, a sexual uh, assault when they were in high school, she had to leave her house. She mm. had for her own safety. So that's and and how did how did anybody find out where she lives? Mm-hmm. Because people figured it out. Uh, the the internet is this great tool to. Uh, I thought you know uh, people thought oh this will make us smart, but no, it's actually making us <laughs> dumb and mean. Um, and she had had to leave the house. Um, so so social media is a problem. It's it's it's. It's like a, it's like a, a, an automobile. An automobile is a great tool, except if it runs you over. How do you think um, it's going to affect like future comedians and few or, or someone writing a, a comedy film? How, how deeply do they get to think about political correctness and, uh, you know, just what they put into that script or what they put into their stand up act or, or even a, a comedy commercial? I, I believe can, you know, people look at everything uh, comedy now and they look for something to be offended with. How do you think the creative types have to think about things nowadays? Well, actually, uh, I, I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this and I'm going to uh, first I'm going to read you a list. Uh, this comic uh, read this this British comic read this list that supposedly he had been given a checklist of things that he wasn't supposed to mention or, or talk about or, or hit on uh, if he did this college performance. Um, the list is, uh, these were the off-topic off topics. You could mm-hmm. not talk, you could not mention these topics or, or have a joke about these topics. Racism, sexism, classism, ageism, ableism, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, Islamophobia, anti-religion, anti-atheism, um, and uh, and all jokes had to be respectful and kind. And mm. so his point was uh, that that uh, the PC culture uh, had ruined comedy, uh, and in fact, that's what Todd Phillips, the director uh, of Joker. Has said uh, Todd Phillips uh, famously did um, uh, the Hangover movies, uh, and he did another movie um, with uh, with Will Ferrell. Uh, um, it was a, another very successful movie. I can't the name just pops out of my head. Uh, and and his point was that that he had to leave comedy because you he wasn't you weren't able to be funny. Uh, with all these restrictions. But here's what I believe, and I'm quoting Mark Marin now. Mark Marin says, the only thing that's off the table is shamelessly punching down for the sheer joy of hurting people. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. People are still funny. People still can be funny. Um, you can still do edgy material. What you have to do, though, is is accept the fact that if you are going to uh, offend some people, you're going to offend some people and then move along and get on with it. Right. Because you can't, you, you can't 
do comedy based upon the fact that you're going to avoid offending people. Some people are going to be offended. Some people are always going to be offended, but you don't want to be punching down, meaning you don't want to make fun of people who are powerless because the whole point of comedy is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and I agree with that. Don't, um, you know, I don't like mean comedy. I, I call that mean comedy because it's easy. Oh, I can go up there and make fun of, of somebody. That's, um, you know, you see comedians who can pull it off. Like Howie Mandel used to pull it off, but in a good way. He'd pick, like, what do you do? What do you do for a job? You know, I don't know if you, his older, I'm going back, you know, 20 some odd years ago, his acts would be a little bit like formatted, but then he'd go to the audience and he'd pick on someone in the audience, but it was never really mean. It was always funny. And he, well, he had a he, great he way of doing somebody, it. So what do you do? And they would say nothing. And he would say, so how do you know when you're finished? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and it, he was never mean. And I like that kind of comedy. Um, but Howie Mandel first and foremost made fun of himself. Mm -hmm. because he would say something, people would laugh, and he would go, what, what, as though he didn't get the joke. Yep, yep. Uh, so I, I, I always liked his comedy. Now, uh, one of the newer comedians, and this goes right along with what you were saying, uh, Bob Marley, uh, one of the, he's a Boston-based, I believe he's out of Boston. Um, I just went and saw him in uh, Pittsfield, Mass., and he was so funny, but the way he made things funny well, first of all, he's got that accent, kind of the Boston accent, but he was funny because he just told stories and he didn't really, you know, he might have picked on himself a little bit, but it's the way he delivered things. And a good comedian, I still think you can be funny nowadays, but um, certainly people will be offended by, you know, oh, you're picking on your wife. You know, he talks about his wife and his family, whatever. But I believe there are comedians out there who can still pull it off. But they got to be really seasoned. I think new comedians are going to have a hard time with it. New screenwriters are going to struggle with it. And even veteran screenwriters are going to struggle with um, this, you know, this cancel culture, as you call it. And I'm, not, I'm, not so, I'm not so sure, because if you look at movies in a television, mm -hmm. uh, if you look at Fleabag, if you look at, uh, you know, uh, Family Guy, uh, yeah. South those people are still making fun, uh, you know, coming up, you know, pushing the envelope, coming up to the line, crossing the line and and letting the chips fall where they may and not worrying so much about, well, oh, somebody will not like this there. We live in a very fragmented society in a fragmented time. And you're going to have if you're successful, you're going to have a niche audience at best. Mm -hmm. So, so I think, I think the thing to do is to make sure that you know what your target of comedy is and the target should start with yourself. It should start with yourself when you're making a, if you're a standup, if you're making a joke mm -hmm. about your wife or your girlfriend, your focus really is I'm the jerk who's with her. Mm -hmm. I'm the, I'm, I'm the schmo who is hooked up with her. So, so you so even though it seems like you're making mother-in-law jokes, you're making uh, wife jokes, you're really making a joke about yourself because mm -hmm. you're the person who's in that situation, no one else. Um, and I think that uh, you, can, you can still 
create comedy uh, without having to water it down. Uh, but also, as Mark Maron says, uh, if if you're if if what gives you joy is hurting people, well, maybe there's an audience for you as well. But that doesn't mean that we have to like it or we have to support it. Mm-hmm. That that's true. That I agree with that one hundred percent. I was never one who liked like really cruel comedy. Some people love it. I believe like newer, new, new guys, like somebody who just wants to get into comedy, you've really got to like really think about what you're going to do or uh, I don't know. I just think it's harder now to get into the circuit without being crushed before you ever get started. Well, I think that's all. I I think that's not new, actually. I think it's always been tough. There was Mm -hmm. a time in the 80s when the comedy scene exploded. When people who had three minutes of good material and 17 minutes of okay material could actually go on the road and, and make something of a of a of a mediocre living, but but that was a very short amount of time. Before then, comics were working for free and they were starving. After then, only the top comics could make a living at it. Uh, and many stand-ups had to just go get other jobs. Now, many of them got other jobs within the industry as writers or as performers. Um, but I think it's always been true that it's hard to break into because you have to dedicate yourself to it. And there's a lot of failure. I mean, mm-hmm. let's look at two of the most famous failures as stand-ups, Judd Apatow and Larry David. They were mm-hmm. both total failures. Uh, you know, they had great ideas, great material. They did not have good delivery systems, um, if you were to believe the audiences of those times. But they figured out a way to share their 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 point of view, share their comedy, even though they weren't good stand up. So it's I think it's always been been a, a tough go. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think that if you if you know what your focus is and you have something to say, not just, not just a, uh, a collection of jokes, um, then, then, then you can carve out a space for yourself in the world. Let's take a look at, uh, the, the show that won all the Emmys at this past Emmys Fleabag. Uh, was she famous three years ago? No, three years ago, she was an unknown actor, comic writer, and what she did was she wrote this show and she took it to the Edinburgh Festival. And that's where they saw her. And that's where it all started. So you have to have uh, a point of view. You have to have your own voice. You have to have a, a sense of what you want to talk about. And, and basically, you're talking about yourself, your family, your world, your point of view. And then you have to take your shot and some people will, you know, a lot of people go to Edinburgh and don't get Netflix sitcoms. Um, but some people do. So you just have to take your shot and, and do the best. And the only way to do it is to get up and fail and get up and fail until you don't. Mm-hmm. I, I like that line. I used that on somebody the other day, get, uh, fail till you don't. I love that. <laughs> That's. I mean, you have to figure out a way to eat, and 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 have a roof over your head while you're failing but as long as you've got that part figured out then go for it yeah just because you failed doesn't mean you failed so 
You just yeah. failed once, but you got you know you may have to fail a few times. Awesome advice, Steve. Uh, why don't we plug your website and your books yeah. before we wrap? Okay, my my website is Kaplan Comedy K A P L A N C O M E D Y KaplanComedy dot com, um, and there you can find out about our live events. We're doing a two day workshop in Los Angeles um, in the uh, begin- first weekend in March. And also on my website, you can find out uh, about my two books, The Hidden Tools of Comedy, which tells you what comedy is, why it works, how it works, and what's happening when it's not working and what you can do to fix it. And then The Comic Hero's Journey, which is taking a look at uh, filmmaking, screenwriting from the comic writer's point of view. And how would that be different than the uh, normal hero's journey? Um, and also on the website, you can uh, get in touch with me, ask me questions, and we do script consultations and all that good stuff. That's awesome that uh, people can get a hold of you and that you're so open to speaking with people. So check that out. Check the books out. I have them both here in my hand. And we we got to have you on again, Steve, because uh, we still have topics that we have to cover. So. That's right. All right. We're going to do that. I want to thank you for joining me today. Great conversation. You're always a wealth of information. Thank you so much. Thanks. Well, that's our show for today. Get Real Indie Filmmakers is created by Forrest Day Jr., also the host of Rolling Tape on YouTube. And Forrest, you also narrate audiobooks on Audible. That's correct. Look for Forrest Day Jr. on your your, uh, Audible app, and you'll find all the wonderful and not-so-wonderful books that I've done. And it's also (laughs) hosted by you, Jeffrey Michael Bays. Jeffrey is the... The podcast is. The podcast, yes. You and and I co-host this podcast. This podcast. Now, now, folks, I'm I'm explaining this to Jeffrey now, so just... Yeah. Speak amongst yourselves, and I'll explain it to Jeffrey. <laughs> but Jeffrey, who hosts this co- podcast with me, um, is also the author of two, count them, one, two books, Between the Scenes, what every film director, right. writer, and editor should know about scene transitions, and his latest, greatest, newest book, Suspense with a Camera, a filmmaker's guide to Hitchcock's techniques. Get Blondie. Ready, Filmmakers is a production of Borges Networks. 2019.